First Peter chapter 1, let us read verses 6 through 12, and then we'll study that. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials or testings. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that per perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with great inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which angels desire to look into. As we take a look at our scriptures here today, remember our author is Peter. Yes, the Apostle Peter. Thirty years or so after the, I believe, the tremendous breaking of Peter's heart. A tremendous change in his heart when he heard the crow cry out three times, revealing his denial of his Savior. This is the man who grew up as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, a simple man who God allowed to step out on the water and come to him. A miraculous moment in one's life. Who saw things and miracles, people being raised from the dead. This is the man that God used by the power of the Holy Spirit to write down these words for believers then and for us today. Now as we take a look at this, we find that here's a man who believed so passionately and without any doubt and reservation in his mind, he was willing to die for his faith in his Savior Jesus Christ. And all the other apostles... Even their wives, for those who were married, died for this faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Their whole family was committed to serving their Lord. It didn't matter if they were single, if they were married, or with or without children. They were committed 
to the Savior and who they believed into being the Messiah. Are you? Are you committed to your Savior? Are both of you in that marriage committed to the Savior? Are you raising your children up to, and now they're at the age of accountability, this age where are they committed to their Savior? That is the question I will leave you here with. Because as we take a look here, and as Peter writes by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to now, he talked the first part of the letter about God's responsibility. God's divine plan to save those he has, he has created. And then we are now going to see man's responsibility. And we will see what he is going to encourage us through this life, a living hope that we saw in the verse 5 of this living hope that God has called us to. By faith and by faith alone and trusting in Jesus and his work on the cross, his finished work on the cross and that for our salvation. And as we take a look at here, we see he starts by saying in this, in this what? You just got done talking about in verse 5, in the salvation. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, a season in your life. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. See, we especially rejoice our salvation. Especially when we saw in verse 5 that God's power is going to keep us through this process of salvation until Jesus returns. And it's by his power, and it's by his love, and by his grace, and by his mercies. We are brought to the full salvation of seeing our Lord personally. But he says here, Peter says to you and I as believers, as children of God, yes, we rejoice in this. Yes, we can rejoice in the fact that it's his power that's going to bring us to this point of being able to see him face to face. But it's only by that, that if not, but we're going to see and we'll be able to greatly rejoice in that. But though now, for a little while, some of your Bibles may say for a season, if need be, if it's good for your life, if it's right according to God's will, if it is for his purpose in your life, to bring about the sanctification in your life that he started when you became a believer, he will be faithful to bring you through, if need be, through trials and tests in your life to refine your life. And Peter's encouraging them because remember, they're going through tremendous turmoil right now. Persecution, all kinds of things. But he's not talking about persecution at this moment. He's not even talking about the tribulations. He's really focused right in on daily trials and tests that you and I face as a human. Even as a child of God. 
God says you are going to face trials and tests. And that could be in many different forms, physically, mentally, spiritually. You're going to be tested. Trials are going to happen. Are you ready? Because as we take a look at this, he says, if need be, you have been grieved. Sometimes it's thought that a strong Christian will never be grieved in a trial. Oh, you shouldn't be grieving. You're a child of God. Then you don't know what the scripture says. We also know that the idea is that the Christian should be some kind of superhero and, and superman. And the bullets are coming and they just, just bounce off that chest. And I can take it. You don't know the scriptures. The only way you'll be able to overcome is God's power bringing you through that. If you rely upon his power. Yet Peter here tells us that there is a need be not only for the various trials, but more especially that it need be for the grieving that needs to take place in your life to transform you. Now, some of you didn't get that. Let me say it again. There are times where need be, he allows tests and trials in your life to, to change you. To get your attention. But he also allows grieving in your life. Deep grieving. Like, no words to explain the level of grief you're going through and pain. The word in your Bible, some of you may have a word, heaviness. A heaviness that you can't even bear the load of the weight of responsibility or grieving situation or heavy situation that he's allowed in your life. He's permitted. Remember, the Father doesn't allow you anything to touch your life unless it's been Father filtered first. God has a purpose not only for the trial but also for the heavy grief we feel in that trial. And it's for his purpose and glory. And it's for your good. <laughs> I know you don't think that. None of us think that when we're grieving and, and there's pain and suffering. None of us want that. But when you settle yourself in the fact that your loving father has got it, he's in control, and he's going to bring you through it, then you can rest in him and his power to bring you through it. See, the word grieved in the Greek is lepio, means to this heaviness. And we see how important when we read and memorize Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peter's not minimizing the reality of what his readers were fearing and feeling at this point in time in their walk. They're being persecuted. They're being chased. They're being all kinds of things coming against them because of purely because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So he wasn't minimizing the challenges and the grieving that comes through with that. But he is saying to us, I know what you're going through is heavy. 
I know you don't feel like you can get out of bed in you because it's so heavy right now you can't even get out of bed and you're very clouded. You're in this, this fog of war that's going on in your head. I understand these things. Why? Because he went through them. He denied his Lord three times. Can you imagine the heaviness and the grieving and the weight upon that man until when? When Jesus came and restored him and lifted him up after the resurrection. When he walked on this earth for 40 days after he was raised from the dead, he restored Peter. That was a very long and deep and dark valley he was in for days. Peter's saying, I know what you're going through is heavy, but it's only a season, a little while, Peter writes here. It's just a little while. It's a temporary light affliction we see in the scripture compared to eternity. That's why he says you can rejoice greatly because you're going to heaven. This is a very short season of your life. It is so little compared to eternity. You can rejoice. You're going to heaven. This pain, this suffering, this grief, this stuff is temporary. Trials meet needs. Do you know that? It meets needs. If need be, these special times that God knows that we need to go through these trials, these tests. Sometimes trials discipline us when we disobey God's will. Psalm 119.67. Sometimes he has to allow that test in your life to discipline you. Because you've chosen not to follow his will that he's revealed to you. Sometimes trials prepare us for spiritual growth. He says, you're just kind of making it going day by day. You're not growing. You're not seeking after me. You're not allowed. You're not really focused in on me. Too many things of the world is starting to get your attention. You're starting to think way too much about yourself and not about me. And he sends a trial or allows that trial and tribulation, that test to get your attention back on him. Sometimes trials prevent us from sinning. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 9. You're about to sin? You you think you want to go down that spiraling ride again? That roller coaster ride? Really? How about if I allow a little test of trial to come in your life to get your attention? To keep you from going down that path again. Going back like a dog to a vomit. See, we must take note when we're in trials and tribulations. Like, what? What did I do? I, I don't remember what I did. What, what? Lord, if you find anything wicked inside me, reveal it to me, Lord. Because I want to know. If this is something for me to grow and mature and trusting in you, it'll take me to the next depth of relationship with you. Oh, Lord, I, 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 I want that. Because I've been telling you, Lord, I want to go deeper with you. I want a deeper relationship. I want to hear from you. Okay, I'll send you a little child. It'll help you get there. That's why I always say, be careful when you say, I want more, oh, Lord, I need more patience. <laughs> you, oh, you should go back to James and read. We studied that. 
Because patience only comes through what? Trials. Trials, hello. But it's growth. It's good, it's right. We don't always know why, but we can trust God to know and to do what is best for our life. That's believing that your Savior loves you. That through even trials, you can trust he knows what's best for you. Not only trials meet needs, trials also can come very, he says. It can come this various trials at the end of verse 6. And it, it means Peter uses this word various. It means many colored, or it means each day it seems to have a different color, something different about it. You know, one trial does not mean the next trial is going to be the same. It could be level of intensity, especially if you didn't learn the first time and God has to turn up the heat a little bit to get you to go through and take you through the same trial because you didn't listen and learn and accept an understanding. And he says, okay, we'll have to do it again. My coach, you saw we do it, right? You didn't get it? Okay, let's do it again. Take another lap. You didn't listen this time? Okay, we're going to take another lap. I can barely, you know, run the next lap and you're, you're, you know, if you ever run, you, you're, you're, you're sick and you're vomiting on the side because you can't run another sprint. And we have to get back up and run again. Why we're running a race, my brothers and sisters. The finish line is right in front of us. The Lord is coming back for us. Get back up. Keep running. By the power of God to work in and through your life. Allow him to do that. Don't grieve the spirit. Feed the spirit. Feed the spirit as you are today. Studying the word of God each and every day. And feed your spirit so you're empowered by God to live this life. Even if the trials are coming in various sizes and shapes. And from different places. Everything's great at home. But man, work is a trial. Everything's great at work, but home is a trial. The next week, it's, it's a home and work as a trial. And it's a trial at church, and it's a trial at, at the neighborhood. It's a trial at... It comes in various colors. But you must trust God. Because God has grace sufficient to meet that need, whatever the various trial you're, you're experiencing. Not only trials meet needs and they can vary, he also says here, trials are not easy. Peter nowhere here in the scripture suggests that we take some passive, carefree attitude toward trials because this would be very deceitful to you. You don't ignore the trial. You don't act like, oh, there's no trial coming. La, 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 there's no trial coming. No, 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 that is not happening. No, this is just, it's just a figment of my imagination. Don't deceive yourself. You're going through a trial. There's a test. And I know most of us all say, I don't like taking tests. But that's why God takes us into the word and spends time with him because he's preparing you for the next great test. And then he tests you to see, were you listening to me? Do you remember the scripture that I brought you through last week and the week before? 
Do you remember that one day when I shared the scripture and then on the radio it was the same scripture and then you turn around, you came on Wednesday night, it's the same scripture and on Sunday you seem to hear the same scripture. Did, did you realize that God is speaking to you? Because he's ready to prepare you for some test. And if it's not for you, my brothers and sisters, it could be for your brother, your sister, your, your wife, your husband. It could be for someone else that God is going to bring to you. And you're going to go, Lord has been showing me the scripture. I need to share this with you. And it's exactly what that person needed to hear. Going through a test. So Peter makes it clear Yes, trials are going to meet some needs in your life, and they're going to be varied, and they're not going to be easy, and trials produce this thing called grieving moments or this heaviness, it, 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 this grief, this pain in your life that you're not going to want to experience, but it is needed. But it's only for a short while. It's only for a season. Remember, this is temporary compared to eternity. It is used to describe even that same word intensity of grievance is in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 when the Lord is in Gethsemane. I'm sorry, in Matthew 26.37. The Lord is in Gethsemane and we see that same intensity of grief. Same words. Or the sorrow of saints at the death of loved ones. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.13. To deny our trials, our tests, that they are painful is to make them even worse if you deny them. Remember, trials are controlled by God. They don't last forever. It's just for a season. That when God permits his children to go through the furnace till things to heat up in their life that are very uncomfortable. He keeps his eye on the clock and he keeps his hand on the thermostat and he controls everything. He knows what you can handle. And he's going to do it. You're going to say, I want that 70 degree temperature perfectly fine at all times. When you get comfortable, it's when he turns up the heat. Do you know that? When you're comfortable in your relationship, in your walk, it's usually when he turns up the heat. Because he doesn't want you to just be lukewarm all the time. Right? That's just steadied. He wants to turn it up for you to change and to grow and to rely upon him even more. It's interesting, if we rebel, he may have to reset the clock, doesn't he? It's only going to be for a day, Corey, don't worry. It's just a short while. It might be for a week. It might be for a month. But if I don't learn that test, I don't learn from what and draw to God and to seek and learn through this test trial, he'll reset the clock. He says, okay, Corey, here we go. We're going to do another month. That's why I tell you many times, man, Learn, the, learn it. Learn. Be, be quick to learn. So you don't have to be, have this, this drawn out. Change men. Change women. Don't, don't, don't let this string out. 
but he will not allow us to suffer one minute longer than it need be. Not one minute longer. The important thing is that we learn the lesson he wants to teach us. Amen? That we learn and that we bring glory to him alone through it all. Peter used the goldsmith as a perfect example for what he was trying to get across of what it means to go and have tests and trials be used. You know what it happens with a goldsmith. He takes that and he's willing to get that ore out and to purify the gold. And it takes heat to do that, to get the dross, the, the imperfect impurities in it to bubble to the top so that it can be skimmed off. And you keep doing it and you keep heating it up to a point where gold can be as like glass. Some people rely upon gold and God uses it as asphalt in heaven. But it's so clear you can see like glass. But it's through that process of heating up to get the impurities out of your life. So when you find that the heat is turned up in your life, just realize what is he, what is he skimming out of your life that is not good? What is that attitude or thoughts that need to come out? Where is that lack of faith and understanding in who he is? What is he working in your life today? Because we're all going through some trial or test in our lives. Because God wants you to bring glory to him and seeing the, this beautiful thing that, like a goldsmith as he, pure, as he keeps heating up and, and, and scraping off the junk and getting those impurities out. He then takes that and he pours it into a mold to create a new vessel that is of tremendous value and beauty. He doesn't leave it in the old state. He creates something new and pure. That's what he's doing in your life, in my life. He's creating us into something that is beautiful and pure. And it's what we call sanctification. And it's something that is difficult sometimes to bear. But understand, it will help you to understand how he works in and through our lives to bring him glory. Important point is that the glory is not fully revealed. And you have to remember that it's not fully revealed until Jesus returns for his church. For you. Our trying experiences today are preparing for the glory tomorrow. When we see Jesus Christ, we'll bring praise and honor and glory to him. We're able to do that now, to bring praise and honor and glory. But when we're face to face with him, we will be worshiping him like no other time. Because we are going to praise and honor and glory to him if we have been faithful in the sufferings of this life. You can go back to Romans chapter 8 and read verses 17 and 18 today. You know, it's interesting. We just came through the book of James. And James discussed in his letter, if you remember, that mature Christians rejoice in trials because God can make something good from them. Yes, something good from them. Buying away in all the things and just keeping us from following Christ more completely. It's just 
gets things out of the way for us to be able to see him clear and more clear and complete. How many times have we gone through a trial and after the trial, after the trial, we look and go, I am drawn closer to God than I've ever been before. Can I get a witness? Amen. If you allowed him to do the work in your life. If some of you said, I'm, I don't see clear, Jesus any clearer than before. I'm just glad I get through it. I'm glad I had the money and I'm glad I had this. And I'm glad I had somebody this. And, and he gets no glory and no thing. I just tell you, if you're a Christian, watch out. He's reset the clock. The trial's coming back your way. It's only a matter of time. And it's usually when you don't have the money and that person's not going to save you from it. He's not going to rescue you from it. He's not gonna, it's going to be just you and him and you're going to go through that trial all by yourself with him. I'm just letting you know. I've been there, done that. All of us have been there, done that. But just remember, learn the fact that trials have a way of clarifying what is essential and clearing away the superficial things in your life. Are you, are you with me? Now we see here in verse 7 that the genuineness of your faith. Do you have a genuine faith? Or is it just something superficial? We'll find out because through trials and tests, we're going to find out and I'm going to find out for myself if I have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Because he says right here that the genuineness of our faith being much more precious than the gold that perishes... Though it is a, that it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because of this faith, tested by fire, there is no other way. Nowhere in the scripture, it's, it's tested by fire. That's how it's done. It's not tested because God's trying to figure out where I'm standing today if I really do have faith in him. He knows all things. He's bringing us through the test so that we know where if our faith is genuine or not. Or if it's just superficial. That's what the test is for. It's a test because we often are ignorant of how much or what kind of faith we really have. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. How many people have trusted in their parents' faith? Or their grandparents' faith. Or their spouse' faith. Or their parents' faith. Or a past, something in the past, but it's been 10, 20 years since you've even thought about the faith of Jesus. Too many professing Christians today have a false faith. And it will be revealed through the trials of life. When your life is threatened because you, someone believes you're a Christian and you're just superficial as a Christian because you posted a few things in your little Facebook moment, in your little Instagram, because you were trying to get closer to maybe someone who's a Christian and you want to act like you're a Christian. When the heat gets turned up because of your presumed faith, you'll run faster than anybody else. Because once you start getting persecuted for your faith, you are going to find, we're going to all find out, really, is our faith grounded in our Savior or not. God's purpose in testing is to display that enduring quality of our faith. 
Just like gold, it is fit to be tested and purified. It's a faith that we understand that it's great and it's in importance and it's purpose testing our faith. Why? Because faith is tested to show that if we have a sincere faith or true faith in our life, is it really true? Do you really have a faith in Jesus? Or do you just have a faith in a religion or a church organization or this or that? But do you really have a true, genuine faith in Jesus the Savior? Faith also is tested to show the strength of your faith. That you're trusting in his power to strengthen you through the trial that is happening. Or do you just rely upon your own might and your own power? And faith is also tested to sanctify our faith. To burn away the dross from the, like the gold. To, to burn away these impurities, these thoughts, these attitudes, this, this old stuff, the past that seems to be like baggage you carry with you from, from past relationships into, even into the relationship with Jesus or other relationships. He says, no, no, those, those have got to go. Those are the past. But notice here in verse 7 that Peter says, Oh, we know how precious gold is, but it's going to perish. It's going to perish. But your faith, that's more precious, and that will never perish. Verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So here in verse 8, we see that Peter says, not only do trials strengthen our faith in the Lord, but they deepen our love for the Lord. Although those Peter was writing to to these believers in these, this, this, this Asia Minor area, this, this modern-day Turkey area, he's writing that. He's really read, writing to us as well today because what he's saying here is, is it's, it's, it's not too hard to see that Jesus, he saw Jesus physically. He saw him physically. He saw him right from the very beginning and start of his ministry. And after his resurrection, Peter saw Jesus in the flesh. But he's saying to you and I, you haven't seen him physically. But you and I, by faith, can still have a deep love for him. That through the trials and tribulations, as he's bringing you through these, he's going to deepen and reveal himself to you through these trials and tribulations, by his word and the power of his spirit for you to have ability to love your Savior. By faith. Not physical, but by faith. Peter had not only seen Jesus daily in his humanity, but he even had a glimpse to sneak the preview of his deity. And he's writing these words for you and I to encourage us that even though you haven't seen him, you can still love your Savior. You can have this personal relationship like I had. 
As long as we do not see the God we serve, we must endure through the trials and face them by faith in joy. And that's what the Spirit of God does in us and builds us this, this love for him, even though we didn't see him. Peter knew that though he had seen Jesus, he was encouraging them I know as an early church, you have not seen Jesus, but I'm letting you know that you can have a love for Jesus. We see that love Jesus, our love for Christ is not based on physical sight because we have not seen him, but it's based on our spiritual relationship with him and what the word of God has taught us about him. And I say that very slowly because many people today who say they're Christians are walking away from the Word of God. They're not reading the Word of God. They're not understanding the Word of God. They're not desiring to feed their spirit with the Word of God. If you're not going to do that, if you're walking away from that, what will happen in your life? Your love for Christ will grow cold. Do you want me to say that again? Do you say, I feel cold. I don't have that. I don't feel that love for Christ. Because you're not in the word of God. That's one reason. But I come to church every Sunday. Well, you're getting the word of God because I'm teaching you. But what happens if you go to a place and you're Monday through Saturday and you're not reading the word of God and you're not in that developing that relationship with Christ so that the love of Christ will fill you. Your love will grow cold. We see the warnings in Revelation, do we not? Jesus says one thing, you've left your first love. Why? Because they stopped seeking after him. They stopped wanting to know of him. They didn't want to spend time with him. They didn't want to hear from him. Because if you hear from God, then he may just tell you no sometimes. And you don't like the word no. The Holy Spirit has poured out God's love into our hearts. We see that in Romans 5.5. 5, and we return that love to him because of who we know by the scripture. When you find yourself in some trial and some test is in your life and you're hurting and you're grieving, immediately lift your heart to Christ in true love and worship of him. Immediately. Why? Why? Because this will take the sting, the poison out of the experience, and you're replacing that pain with him. You're literally replacing the pain with him. You're focusing your attention on the healing medicine, that beautiful healing salve that if he comes upon you when you turn your attention upon Jesus. The problem with most people when they come through a trial and tribulation that's hurting and grieving and pain is they focus on the what? The pain, 
the situation, the circumstances, the person that's causing the pain, the situation that caused the pain. And you never move on. You never heal because you're always focused on the person or situation or place or the past that caused the pain. No healing takes place. You must focus your attention on Jesus and allow him to come in and heal you. Meaning you need to be in the word of God to hear from him. That's how he speaks to you and me. Not only do you the love of Christ, but we also see we need to believe Christ or trust in Christ. We, we, we must live by faith and not by sight. We So many people have to live by sight. And Paul, Peter is saying, no, no, you have to live by faith. Faith means surrendering all to God, obeying his word in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the the consequences. You must be obedient to the word of God. You must live for him and after him and not compromise in any aspect of your life. And when that does, it brings and builds up that belief and builds up that trust by faith. And even though you don't see how this is all going to work out. Because love and faith go together. And when you love someone, you trust him. When you love someone, you will trust her. And together, they help strengthen and give you a hope that's beyond yourself. It's a strength and hope you will find confidence for the future because of this love and the hope that you have by love and faith together for your Savior. But the question always is when people ask me, well, how can I build or grow in that love and faith so that I have this future hope? I'm glad you asked. The same very way we grow in faith when everything is going so sweet and so good. We study We feed upon the word of God. Good times or bad times, we feed upon the word of God. And he speaks to you. He works in your heart, in your mind. The word of God is the only thing that I know of that will transform your mind. Go back and read Romans 10, 17 on that one. See, our fellowship with Christ through his word not only strengthens our faith, but it also deepens our love for him. And it's the most basic principle of a Christian life. It is the most basic Christian living, a living hope that Peter talked about here in this first part of his letter. And, he's, and it's, we spend much time in the word of God and in, in through that it. It doesn't matter if we're going through a test that God has allowed or if it's Satan who comes and tempts us. It doesn't matter if it's a testing or a temptation. We still have the same solution. We must get into the word of God. That's why you need to memorize the word of God. You need to meditate on the word of God. Because when the temptations come, you turn to the word of God. When your things or tests are coming and your car tire flattened and you're on a freeway, it's a test. It is not good. Do you need to go to the word of God and allow the word of God to come out of your, your heart because you don't have your Bible to your left or your right, but it better be on, etched under the heart so it can start coming out of your mouth and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Send a servant, a saint, to help me. 
Put a hedge of angels of protection around this car, Lord, on the freeway. But send someone. Who do I need to turn to to call to come and take care of this practical challenge? And you stay calm. And you're at peace. And you know God is in control because he allowed that flat tire. And watch him reveal himself. But immediately go to the word of God. Not only do we have this love for Christ, we put trust in Christ, but we also rejoice in Christ here, Peter says. And it's a trust, a rejoicing that is a joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's a joy that you can't even, the word here, joy inexpressible, is the only place you see this word in the entire New Testament is right here. And it's one that you can't even put words to of why it's such deep joy that you have. You can't even express it. He says, that is the joy that I'm talking about. He says, you can rejoice in Christ. You may not be able to rejoice over the circumstances that is going on and the the challenges that are going on. You can't rejoice in that, but you can rejoice in them by centering your heart and your mind on Jesus Christ because he is going to walk you through this valley. Why? Because you trust in Christ. Why? Because you love Christ. And because you love Christ and you can trust Christ, you can rejoice in Christ. That's what Peter's saying here in verse 8. But you can't rejoice if you don't trust, and you can't trust if you don't love him. And you can't love him if you don't know him, and you don't know him because you're not in the word of God. Because you're not meditating on him. And what he has, God poured out his word for us. It's not complicated, but not always easy. That's why he says here in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says here, the end of your faith is in the return of Jesus. You need to remember Jesus is coming back for you. Perhaps today. We have no guarantee for tomorrow. We must live for him today because he might come back for you today. And that means it doesn't matter what your age is. The ultimate salvation of our souls is the return of Jesus for you. Tests and trials are inevitable. As long as we're in this flesh, on this end of the, of our, of, of the, of the time of, this, of our faith, before Jesus' return, we're having trials and tribulations. There's tests going to come. Believers possess salvation now, yes. But we'll sense its full significance at the return of Christ in the last time. The last step. The ultimate completion of the race. The salvation of our souls. Will come when Jesus Christ is revealed. I hope you're looking forward to that day. I really do. Because the assurance of heaven is the great help for us today. You just have to remember, oh Lord, this is all going to pass. And we're going to be in your presence in heaven. 
If, suffer, if your suffering today means glory tomorrow, then suffering becomes a blessing to us as a believer. If we love him, we will trust him. If we love him and we trust him, we will rejoice in him. And if we, if we love him, we trust him, we rejoice, then notice here in verse 9, we will receive from him all that we need to turn trials into triumphs. Everything that we need. We'll be able to receive the end of our faith is where we have triumphed. Do we not? We have won. The salvation of our souls. And notice here in verse 10 through 12. And of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time that the Spirit of Christ who was in them was in indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This is just a beautiful thing here. Some people say, I only read the New Testament because that's the only speaks of Christ. Well, you don't know the scriptures then. Because all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament is one story and it speaks of Christ. To the point right here, Peter says, even the prophets knew, knew this truth. Knew that there's a Messiah coming. Knew what was going to happen to the Messiah. They were sitting there going, I don't have this all figured out. These are what we call mysteries of Christian faith. They didn't know it. They wanted to know it. They were constantly searching and seeking and looking for the Messiah to come. Are you with me? So Peter is reminding them, the prophets were sitting there looking and inquiring and searching. Because they had faith in what the scripture told them. The Holy Spirit revealed to them there was a Messiah coming. And Peter saying, you have to understand, salvation is so great, it's so grand. It has been out there from before we were even living as he was speaking to this current church. The prophets were talking about it constantly, looking and seeking after the Messiah, prophesying of the grace that would come to you and to me as they stood there. And today he still speaks of the word, he was speaking of about his grace and his mercy upon us that would come to us. The prophets of the Old Testament longed to see the grace of the new covenant that, that was talked about in the Old Testament. They just didn't know when. They didn't know how. They just prophesied of the Spirit of Christ. They just knew without a question in their mind what God's word said would come about. And it would be something new. But what they also knew is that the prophesying of the Spirit of Christ, they knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Messiah would suffer and then be glorified. How do I know that? Well, think of it as two mountain peaks. That's all they could see. From their perspective of a prophet, they looked out and they say, I see two grand peaks. What are those grand peaks? 
Well, the scriptures gives them the first grand peak was the Mount Calvary. The Messiah would suffer and die. Where do they know that? Isaiah 53. They see a peak and they say, I just know that our Messiah is going to die on that mountain. That's all they could see. The second peak that they looked at is Mount Olivet, or that Olivet, uh, which was we see in Zechariah 14:4, where the Messiah will return on the Mount of Olives and put his feet right there. That's the other peak that they see based on the scripture. What was a mystery to the prophets was the valley between those two peaks. They did not know how that was all going to take place. All they knew is the Messiah was coming, will suffer, and then be, be glorified. You and I, what they didn't know, but we do know and we're living it, is what we call the church age. The age of the church is the valley they did not understand. And we even see here clearly, look at with me, verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us. They were ministering to the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Even the angels were like... Father, this is amazing view in what's going on here. How is this all going to play out? This is amazing. You took your creation. We refer to the church. Those who are your children who believe. How is this all going to play out? The prophets understood that they were ministering to the people beyond them. They understood what they were doing today was going to affect generations to come. Even to the people today for you and I. Because we now know who they were referring to, don't we? Jesus. We know when Jesus' day. We know the Old Testament prophecies that we read talks about the, uh, that was to come. We got to now experience what they were referring to in what actually was accomplished in and through the life of Jesus. And it says that the unfolding of God's eternal plan is going to be played out here to the point even the angels were looking at how this was all going to play out. Now, I can't get my head around that all completely. If you think I got my head around wrapped around that going, why does the angels now understand it? Why didn't they didn't know it? Why didn't they? These are mysteries. I, I mean, I act like I know everything. I don't know everything. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells us. How do I read more about this, Corey? Well, I'll go back and look how the angels observed not only what was taking place, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Ephesians 3.10, and 1 Timothy 3.16. Not only is the angels watching and looking of how this is all playing out in the church age, the scriptures tells us they're even observing our conduct, how you and I respond to what takes place in our life. That is amazing to me.
Imagine angel angels are watching your life and how you're going to respond to the trials and testings and things that take place in your life and how God is using that to mold you and shape you to bring glory to God. That's amazing to ponder on. But let's close here today. Where's your living hope? What is your hope based upon? Is it based on a relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ? Is your hope just in you? Is it hope in an organization? Do you have a false hope? Or do you have a true living hope in Jesus? I pray today if you do not have a hope, a faith, a true faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray today's the day you've, you've heard and you've felt the Lord knocking at the door of your heart. And he's asking you to open up and allow him to come into your life and to change your life. Don't ignore the voice of God speaking into your head right now. But freely by faith, open up the door and allow him to come in and to save you. And talk about and live out what it means to have this living hope that we've talked about so far. Can you see why 1 Peter is my favorite book? Can you see why? I'm sure it's your favorite book by now. It's, we've just got into the first 12 verses. Wait till we get to the rest of it. It gets, it gets better. 